Welcome back for episode 27 in our study of the book of Revelation. This episode is called The Angel Clothed with a Cloud. I'm Sam Bracken, your host. Our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who is discussing the book of Revelation through the lens of the temple. We have been through chapters 8 and 9 and heard about the judgments of the six trumpets that fall on the wicked. Now we're moving into chapter 10, which is the great message of hope for the faithful. This chapter 10 begins, A mighty angel descends from heaven, clothed with a cloud and a rainbow above his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. Chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. So who is this character? Well, a century before Christ, a famous Jewish writer named Ben Sirach used almost these same words to describe the high priest of Israel when he emerged from the temple on the Day of Atonement. After performing this once-a-year sacrifice that he did in the Holy of Holies, the high priest would put on all his priestly robes, which were shining with gold and and he would show himself to the people. And this was a point of great rejoicing because it signified that the atonement had been made and the people of Israel were redeemed, at least for another year. Okay. So this is how Ben Sirach described the high priest as he came out of the temple. Quote, He was glorious when he came out of the house of the veil, like the morning star among the clouds, like the sun shining upon the temple, like the rainbow gleaming in glorious clouds, unquote. Well, this is almost exactly how John describes the great angel in chapter 10. So I think we can relate the appearance of this angel to the appearance of the high priest in the ancient temple of Jerusalem on the Day of Atonement. So you see, it all connects to the temple. Yeah, so the angel is a high priest performing some kind of temple ceremony, sounds like. Yes, exactly. John says, quote, The angel lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. Unquote. In other words, the temple ceremony where the mystery is about to end. Remember that in ancient times, a mystery was a temple ceremony, a kind of play. And the play is nearly over. So is, is the high priest Jesus Christ? Well, some interpreters, um, like the early Christian writer Tychonius, thought so. They, they believe this high priestly angel is Jesus Christ. Tychonius said... Um, in this angel, the person of the Savior is shown, who clothes himself with the church as with a cloud. But the modern scholar Margaret Barker agrees with this. She says, the angel wreathed in a rainbow and wrapped in a cloud was, for John, the return of the high priest, the Lord, appearing in a cloud in his holy place. But modern revelation gives us a different answer. Okay. Doctrine and Covenants section 88 says that the seventh angel who shall sound his trump, and shall stand forth upon the land and upon the sea, is Michael, the seventh angel, the father of all, the prince of all, 
the Ancient of Days. So, it's not Jesus, the angel who appears here, is Michael. Ancient Jewish scholars also believed that Michael was the high priest of heaven. Uh, they taught that at the Great Day of Atonement. Michael would narrate for the people the entire plan of salvation, starting with the creation, just as we see in our temples today. One scholar says, quote, Vested in due number of robes of white linen beset with jewels, the high priest ministered like the angel Michael. Unquote. Now, we know from modern revelation that Michael is Adam, the high priestly angel who presides over the other six prophet angels who sound the trumpet of the gospel across the dispensations. Now, we can suggest that the seven trumpeter angels include Adam or Michael. They symbolize the seven dispensational prophets, including Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and um, Peter, who was the uh, key holder of the dispensation of Christ. So why does the angel stand with one foot in the sea and the other on the land? This is a quotation from, um, from the DNC. Uh, throughout the Holy Scriptures, the expression sea and land is used for the totality of God's creation. Therefore, the angel's stance could be taken as an image for cosmic authority, his authority over the entire creation. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, invested with glory, Michael, or Adam, assembles his posterity to announce an end to their mortal test. And according to the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, such a gathering will be held at some point at Adam on Diamond. That's in uh, Doctrine and Covenants 116. Now, back, back to the uh, ancient temple. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest spoke seven blessings with his hands raised high above his head, and the same thing happens in uh, Revelation. The high priestly angel cries with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. John says, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. I don't understand. What do you mean by seven thunders were voices? Well, in the Bible, the voice of God is often compared to thunder. In John chapter 12, verse 28, Jesus says a prayer. He says, Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. And then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it, said that it thundered. So, to the people, the voice of God sounded like thunder. But John could hear the words, and he wrote them down. The people weren't allowed to hear the words. That's why all they could hear was thunder. The, the Lord kept the words from the people. And we have to ask ourselves why. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same thing happens in Revelation 10. The Lord tells him not to write down what he hears. In the seven thunders, John 
received a higher knowledge from the Savior that he was commanded not to write. A secret teaching. Quote, The early church knew that Jesus had given a secret teaching to certain disciples. In the first instance, to just three, Peter, James, and John, who then initiated others. Uh, lost through apostasy, these sacred teachings have now been restored in our day, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel. So here we are, and we receive these words. Where do we receive them? In the temple. And the mystery of God, according to the angel, is about to be finished, in verse 7, chapter 10. There is a non-LDS scholar named Raymond Brown who says, quote, The mystery that Jesus reveals to his disciples involves God's plan of salvation for men in the kingdom. Close quote. That's pretty, pretty intuitive of a non-LDS scholar. Mm -hmm. um, aspects of this plan are withheld from people who are unready, right? For their own good. Mm-hmm. While those who are initiated, that is, those who are endowed, quote, give thanks unto the Lord and sing praises unto the Most High, as Psalm 92 says. The New Testament calls these initiates, or these endowed people, calls them teleoi. That's a Greek word that means finished ones, those who have finished. Teleos is an adjective, which is uh, derived from the noun telos, which means the end as in fully initiated. So a telos is a person who has been perfected. Yes, but we, we have to talk about what perfection means. That would be good. In this context, a telos is a person who has qualified to go through the temple and accepts all the covenants and then lives by them. Jesus says in Matthew 5.48, Be ye therefore perfect. And in Greek, what he says, in the original Greek, he says, Eseste un himeis teleos. And I'm going to translate that. It means, be ye finished. Be ye fully endowed, in other words. You're finished taking on your covenants. You're living by them. That makes you perfect. Uh, teleos. Because the Savior compensates for all the mistakes or missteps that you make from then on, Right. You know, I have a story about this very verse. Do you mind if I tell it real quick? Go ahead. So when Kim and I first got married in the Washington, D.C. temple many years ago, 34 years ago, we were married by Frederick Babel, who was an assistant to President Benson and who helped write the book on the wings of faith. He married us, and I was working in Washington, D.C. at the time. Kim was a, she was not an American citizen, so she couldn't do much, she couldn't work. So she spent a lot of time in the DC temple and I would meet her there after work. And we were really working hard. We were very active as full-time, you know, as missionaries in, in our DC ward. Um, president Marriott was our state president and, and I was working an amazing amount of hours and we were just exhausted, but we were doing everything we could to live our covenants. And one, one evening coming out of the temple, Frederick Babel was going into the temple. And he was our sealer. He sealed us. And uh, he noticed us, and he stopped us in this hallway, in the, in the long corridor going by, to the temple. By the way, you are not hard to notice. Yeah, I was a, I'm a big dude. You're a big dude. Yeah, yeah, and Kim's so beautiful, it's yeah. easy to notice. Yeah, there you go. So he goes up to us, and he... Beauty yeah. and the beast. Be yeah, exactly. <laughs> Beauty and the beast. Yeah. And, uh, and he comes to us, and he says, 
hey, hey guys, how, how are you? And, and we said, you know, we're doing good. And he, and he said, I have a question for you. And we said, okay. He said, are you doing your best? <laughs> and Kim and I looked at each other and we sort of had tears well up in our eyes. And we're like, you know, Brother Babel, we, we are, we're doing our dead level best. And he said, well, good. <laughs> Because when the Lord said, be therefore perfect, he didn't mean be perfect. He meant be therefore do your best. <laughs> and he just walked away. And Kim and I just sat there and we were like, we were profoundly impacted by that. I mean, like our whole lives were profoundly impacted by that, that concept, that perfection is, in, is found in doing your best. It's found in effort. It's found in growth and keeping your covenants. And anyway, it was a profound, profound little story. It's exactly on the point because... When the Lord said, um, as they when he meant you get your covenants. Right. And live by them. Yeah. And then you will be perfect because you have everything you need. Yeah. And um, as long as you, uh, you'll make mistakes and you'll make missteps, but I, says the Lord, will make up for those. Right. And that's complete. That's being complete. That's being complete. Right. Yeah. Because you're, you're complete because he makes up for everything else so uh we may we may contribute uh, zero but he contributes 100 percent. yeah so all he's looking for from us is our effort yes and, and our commitment to keeping the promises that we make to him exactly and that i think is what is meant by uh, teleos yeah that is beautiful that is a beautiful notion yeah. and it should inspire everyone that hears this podcast yes it's such a truth now the endowment or the mystery which was available only to the teleoi, okay, was, quote, ordained before the world unto our glory. In other words, it was planned this way, that we would be glorified by this mystery, this, this ceremony, this endowment. Now, Paul writes about this mystery. He says, um, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 through 9. For Latter-day Saints, the mystery of God is the endowment which prepares us to receive the things which God has prepared for us. And in Hebrew, the word for mystery is sod, which usually refers to the council in heaven and the plan administered by that council. Um, quote, Jehovah's Throne Council, as a community of the holy, God-fearing, and upright, conducts its cult or its worship in the temple. That's from um, the Theological Dictionary of the Old Testament, uh, explaining the word sod. We should understand the endowment as a ritual and dramatic participation in the sod, the divine council of God, through which God reveals to the covenanter his sowed or his secret plan of salvation, the hidden meaning and purpose of creation in the cosmos, and the meeting place of the sowed of Jehovah is in the temple. I just quoted from a LDS scholar named William Hamblin who wrote a, uh, a great article called The Sowed of Jehovah and the Endowment, which is found in a uh, periodical called The Interpreter, Volume 4, where Page 151, it's a great quotation. So in other words, the mystery of God is both the form and content of the endowment. And when we assemble in the temple 
to experience the endowment, we are reenacting the council in heaven. Or, or to say it better, we are the council of heaven being held on earth. Now in chapter 10, the messenger Michael, or Adam, announces to the congregation that the mystery will now conclude. The mortal journey will end, and, quote, there should be time no longer. Now, what does that mean? That's interesting. The word time uh, that is used here in Greek, the original word was chronos, which actually in ancient Greek meant time or segment, a segment of time. So in a way, Michael is saying this segment is over. This portion of your eternal life is now coming to an end. Now we wait for the final judgment. What about the little book that the angel gives to John? On the Day of Atonement, the high priest read to the congregation certain passages from a book, from the law referring to the atonement. So in other words, the high priest, we've already decided that the great angel is the high priest, right, coming out of the temple on the Day of Atonement Mm -hmm. and holding a book. And this little book, in the heavenly ceremony, the angel Michael, or Adam, had in his hand a little book, which he gives to John. And um, then John reads from the book. Could you read for us verses 9 through 11? This is what the angel told John to do. Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again for many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So what's this little book? Well, Joseph Smith told us what it is. He said of this book, quote, It was a mission, an ordinance for him to gather the tribes of Israel. Okay? This, behold, he said, this is Elias, who, as it is written, must come and restore all things. Uh, And Elias is someone who prepares the way for the Lord to come by gathering his people. Right. Okay? In the latter days... John plays an Elias role in reuniting God's family. That's in Doctrine and Covenants 7 and in Doctrine and Covenants 27. The little book denotes both, quote, the sweetness of receiving the word and the bitterness of bearing a prophetic ministry to people who will reject it. Okay, so it's, it's sweet to John, but bitter because he sees how many will refuse yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Now, John, remember, was blessed to tarry till the Lord comes. Mm-hmm. He's still out there. He is still teaching God's purposes to his children. Apparently, Joseph Smith taught that John was laboring now among the descendants of the ten tribes. He was the only apostle to witness the Savior's crucifixion and resurrection. So he is kind of unique. He can uniquely witness of the reality of the atonement. Now, the angel gives John one more assignment. Could you read chapter 11, verses 1 and 2? Sure. And there was given me a reed, like unto a rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. 
but the court which is without the temple leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, the holy city, and the holy city shall they tread under foot forty and two mouths. What is that all about? Okay, the reed spoken of is a measuring stick. It's a carpenter's tool to ensure that a building does not deviate from the plan. Okay. Uh, with this reed, John finds that the temple and the altar do meet the precise specifications of height, breadth, and depth. And this is all symbolic. The reed is a token of the covenant of obedience. Like a carpenter, John uses the reed or the square as a symbol of exactness. We know this because he also uses this measuring stick to judge the worthiness of them that worship therein, meaning, you know, the temple patrons inside the temple, just as we do today with temple recommend interviews. Okay. The measuring stick is the temple recommend interview. Are you are you ready? Are you worthy? Those who are worthy get to stay safe inside the holy place during the great tribulation of mortal life. You have to think about the think think or visualize in your mind the temple of Jerusalem. There was the Holy of Holies, which was central, you know, that was the, the holiest place. Nobody went there except the high priest. And then there was the holy place, which um those who were ordained, right, priests and kings, could go into that area. Outside was called the Court of the Gentiles, and anybody could come here. Uh, you get to choose whether you want to go into the holy place and experience the mystery or the endowment, or stay outside. You, you get to make that choice, okay? What about those who don't want to go into the holy place, who don't want to be measured against the standard of the gospel? Well, let's read what happens with them. Chapter 11, verse 2. But the court which is without the temple leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles. In the holy city shall they tread under foot forty and two months. So for now, um, those who refuse to take on themselves their temple covenants, quote, tread the outer court of the temple. They stay outside. They choose to stay outside. And that outer court represents the world. And those people will trample the earth for the symbolic 42 months, which is, you'll remember, the 42 months is the period of great, the great tri tribulation. tribulation. Yeah. yeah. So in our next episode, we're going to see what happens out there, outside the temple. It's quite a story. I can't wait to hear that. Have a great one.